Acts chapter 5. looked at some of these verses last week. I want to go back and look at them again. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 28. And they said to Peter, Did not, or unto the disciples, apostles, did not we command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They were so self-righteous and hated him so much they wouldn't even mention his name. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hung on a tree, him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. It's the title of the lesson, a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so it is also, so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart, and they took counsel to slay them. <clears throat> As Peter and all the apostles are brought before these, this religious, basically religious mob, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all these men who think they are something, they're all gathered together because they rejected the Son of God. They rejected him. Said, we won't have him. We won't have him to reign over us. And they thought they could stop him. They thought we'll have him crucified and that'll be the end of it. And they're getting news that this is not the end of it. That the one that died upon that cross, he's alive. He's alive. He, remember Peter said a couple chapters back, said Jesus of Nazareth. They knew which one he was talking about. They said you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. You filled this holy city, someone said, with this senseless doctrine. You're going around telling everybody that the one that died on the cross is alive. And you're feeling, and it was filling Jerusalem. It was the talk. Everybody's talking about thousands of people have been converted. Many were added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And they knew it was, we're going to stop it. Well, we don't, how far will this grow? We're going to stop it. As old Barney Fife used to say, we're going to nip it in the bud. We're going to stop it. That's what they were, that's their goal. Isn't it ironic that I read in Matthew 24, how many times he said, you beware of false prophets. They'll come saying, we preach Christ. If he's here, no, don't follow them. If it were possible, they would deceive the very elect of God. 
But his people, his elect, will endure to the end. No matter how much they threatened these men, they would not back down. They were not intimidated. The wicked flee when nobody pursues. They just think somebody's after them. They think everybody's after them. But the righteous are bold as a lion. They were teaching the doctrine, not the doctrines of Christ. It is the doctrines as the doctrines of devils. We believe in the doctrine, one doctrine, singular, the doctrine of Christ. God's people were of one accord. The enemy rises up. He wants to stop this. We cannot let this go on. We've got to stamp this out. This is what they've always done. They control people. Threatened them. Under the law, that's what the law does, is threaten them. You either do this, the Lord's going to get you. Then they said, you intend, the reason you're doing this, we we know why you're doing this, you want to fill this place with your doctrine, and you want, you're intending to bring that, that man's blood on our heads, on our hands. Now, what are they saying? They're only concerned for themselves. They are afraid that they will lose their following. They are saying that you are charging us with murder. And, they're, and they say, you intend to bring that man's blood on us? You're saying that we killed an innocent man. That's what you're saying. And that's what he told them. He said, you took him. You took him and by wicked hands, you crucified him and you slain him. But you just did exactly what God decreed for you to do. They said, you are accusing us of murdering an innocent man. Well, isn't that not what they did? And they told him that's what they did. He kept telling them. He said, uh, verse 29, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hung on a tree. And because God raised him from the dead, that proved he's an innocent man. He's innocent, justified. If If not, he wouldn't have conquered hell and death. He conquered it. He's victorious over it. They're saying you want to stir up the people against us. If you don't stop what you're doing, they were afraid. They're the ones that are afraid. They're afraid of losing their following. They were afraid of losing their influence. And they are afraid that the Romans will come. And they're still under Roman authority. They can only do what the Romans let them do. And they don't want, us, they don't want things stirred up. Rome, the Romans don't like that. They'll come and take care of it. They'll push it down. They will come and take vengeance on us. They said earlier, if you went on on to show you this, in Matthew 27. You know, they actually knew they had nothing against him. Well, they call it a kangaroo court. 
They knew they had nothing against him. They didn't care. They did not care. We're going to kill this man. What they wanted to do, they were not allowed to do. They wanted to take him just in some back alley and just kill him, and that was not God's purpose or plan. It was not done in a corner somewhere. It says here in Matthew 27, verse 24, you know, he stood before Caiaphas. He went to Pilate. Pilate sent him back to Herod, and Herod sent him back to Pilate, who's the main man who has the authority. It says, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing with those people, he tried to discourage them from crucifying the Son of God. But that rather a tumult was made, and he took water and washed his hands before the multitude. He thinks he can wash that blood off his hands, and he said, I am innocent. I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. He said, I I find no fault in this man. But why did he scourge him? If he's an innocent man, why would you do that? Why would you? They're just such, they hate God. They have have no conscience. These are what they, the Bible calls reprobates. You would beat a man that you know and you admitted that he's innocent? Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And it was. Then released, Pilate released Barabbas unto them, who was a what? He was not an innocent man. He was a murderer, and they knew it. You want a murderer over an innocent man? who went about doing good. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. But I want you to notice there where they said, all the people said, his blood be on us and on our children. Now what is this saying? Let me read to you from what Brother Fortner said. He said, here the judge of all the earth our Lord, stood before wicked men to be judged by them. He stands before these wicked men to be judged. And he that shall soon judge the world in righteousness was judged most unrighteously. He that shall one day sit upon the throne of judgment with 10,000 of his saints and angels stood as a prisoner before the bar of reprobate men. Never in the pages of history was justice so violently and deliberately abused. The Son of God was denied the right of justice even to a common thief or a murderer. Before one witness was produced to testify against him, before any evidence was weighed, the Lord of glory was beaten, mocked, stripped, and abused by vile, God-hating men. You want to see what they call the goodness of man? There it is. Luke's account, it said, he, Pilate delivered Jesus to their will, and they didn't accept him as personal Savior. They didn't bow to him as Lord. They said, come on, we're going to kill him. 
We want to make him suffer that much more. Why? Why would you do that? Why would we do that? They said his blood be on us. Now listen, I thought this was interesting. If the one that was crucified is ever proven to be an innocent man, we will be guilty of putting him to death. We will answer for this crime. That's what he's saying. Let his blood be on our head and on our children. The children are affected by what those parents did. We can see that today. If there be any crime, let it, they said, let it even fall on our children. And there, Peter and these men are telling them, this man that you killed, God raised him from the dead. Someone said, if anyone accused another of a capital crime and the person who was crucified was found out to be innocent, they were saying that their children were to receive the same punishment. you imagine when they said that? Because they said, he ain't innocent. We can say what we want to. So in all countries, the conduct of the parent involves the children in the consequences of his conduct. Our children today are suffering for the sins of the parents. Our Lord told them that there in Matthew 24, it says, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. The generation was 40 years. Less than 40 years, our Lord died somewhere around 33 A.D., somewhere along in there. In A.D. 70, less than 40 years from this point, them children are going to be grown adults. And you know what they did when the Roman marched in? You know what they did? They killed millions. Let me just read. It said, more than a million people perished in the siege. A million Thousands died by famine, thousands by disease, thousands by the sword, and their blood ran down the street like water. Thousands were crucified, suffering the same punishment they had inflicted on our Lord. They said so great was the number of those that were crucified, they were running out of places to put a cross. You want his blood on your head and on your children? Well, okay, There's, there it is. I mean, you imagine it. But, you know, it went, it went on, they went on for 40 years playing their games. And God let, allowed this man, this Roman, Titus, come in and destroy it all. Millions are killed. And what Peter said to them, we ought to obey God rather than man. They wouldn't obey God. You know, they, they claimed to be the keepers of the law, didn't they? They claimed to be those who taught the law. The law didn't say you punish an innocent man. Now, on, don't you see this? Now, on the human side, he was innocent. But God can't punish an innocent man. That would be unjust. 
God must punish a sinner. He was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Somebody, I, we should have died on that cross. We should have been Barabbas. That was us. But he set us free. He said, it pleased God to bruise him. The sword of God's justice pierced his heart. Not because he said, I'm a worm. And no man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you slew. And you hanged him on a tree. You know, as I tried to say, Sunday, you can see them walking by. They're sticking out their tongue and they're laughing at him. They're mocking him. Why is he suffering all that in the place of his people? Peter said back in chapter 2, verse 22, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you all, as you also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of death because he satisfied the law of God. That's why he rose the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. But now it says, Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. They're telling them who he is. He's a prince. He's the prince of peace. For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Notice that it does not say that he was exalted to the right hand of the Father. It says he was exalted with the Father's right hand. Now, he is exalted to the right hand of the Father. Yes, he is. But he was exalted with his power and his might. It is God's power who raised him. He raised him because death couldn't hold him. He satisfied the law in our place. It says in Acts chapter 3, verse 15, And you killed the Prince of Peace, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Almost in the same breath when they said, you killed the prince of life. The prince of life. Whom God hath raised from the dead. He saw no corruption. You know why? No sin. What does the word prince mean? It means a military leader, a captain, a commander. Hebrews 2.10, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now that I don't understand. He's the captain of our salvation, perfect through suffering. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He went through it, Cheryl, for us. 
is the captain of our salvation. The captain goes in front. He leads his people. He guides us. He knows the way. Then it's also looking unto Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's a prince and a what? A savior. Until you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. He is our prince of peace. He is all our salvation. As the prince of peace, he made peace through the blood of the cross. And when he said it is, it is finished. And as the prince and savior, he gives. Now he's telling these wicked men, he gives repentance. Romans 2, 4, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, the goodness leadeth, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? It leadeth you to repentance. 2 Timothy 2, 25, In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. That's what these men were doing. They were opposing themselves. And Peter stands there. These men needed to know the truth, and he's telling them the truth. He, he's not ashamed. He, he, knows, he knows that they won't like it, but he's still telling them the truth. In meekness, instruct those that oppose himself peradventure, if God peradventure will give them repentance unto the acknowledging of the truth. Oh, that God would do that for depraved men that oppose themselves. These men that said, let his blood be on our head and on our children. We want him dead no matter the cost. We don't care what we have to do. We want him dead. Not only gives repentance. How can there be forgiveness of sins? The only way. Sin has to be paid for. It's called a mercy seat. As our Savior, he gives repentance and he gives forgiveness of sin like he told the woman there that was caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And he said, and we are his witnesses of these things. They're saying we've witnessed him risen from the dead. He's the captain of our salvation. He's given repentance. He's forgiven many of their sins. All those on the day of Pentecost that believed, all their sins were forgiven. Past, present, and future. We all, they, they were some of those that day that were there in the same crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him. A few days later, they're saying, what must we do to be saved? Can God, would God forgive a man's sin to condemn and crucify an innocent man? Sure he would. That's why he died. That's why he died. Without the death, there's no forgiveness. There's no forgiveness. There's no mercy. And he said, the Holy Ghost is also witness whom God hath given to those that obey him. He's given repentance. 
He's given forgiveness. And he gives the Holy Spirit. As, what, as a witness. He witnessed, How did the Holy Spirit witness? In this time by signs and wonders. How did these people believe? It's not because Peter is just an eloquent speaker. He's probably not. It's because the Holy Spirit enabled those people to believe. They, he, they knew that Peter was, and these men were just unlearned and ignorant men. The Holy Spirit witnesses. The Holy Spirit enables a man to see, to understand, and believe. He takes the word of God and applies it to your heart. He takes the things of Christ and reveals them unto you. And he had done many wonders in the conversion of sinners. And they can't deny what happened to that lame man. Peter didn't heal that man. The Holy Spirit of God did. The Holy Spirit even enabled them to be a witness. You shall be a witness after that the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And he was upon these men. These men stand in there. I mean, you imagine this. They're not afraid. Their life is not dear unto themselves. Now, Peter, we know he has a family. He had a mother-in-law. He, had, he may have had children. We don't know. We're not sure. It doesn't, really doesn't matter. But the thing is, does, he not, does those things not matter? Well, sure it did. But the main thing is he was going to please God no matter what. He was going to tell these people the truth, and he did more than once. Told them. You know what you did? You know that Jesus that went about doing miracles? Everybody knew who he was. Everybody in Jerusalem knew who he was. He had a, he had a fame that spread far and wide. They would bring sick from all other countries just to have him healed. I mean, have them be healed. And what he did, what y'all did, was not done in a corner. Everybody knew it. When he talks to King Agrippa later on in this book, he said, this thing was not done in a corner. I know you know this. You know who I'm talking about. He said, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Now you imagine all these people sitting there hearing what Peter has just said. God hath raised him to be a prince, a commander, the prince of peace, the captain of our salvation, a prince and a savior. They heard what he said. He didn't stutter. He spoke clearly. I'm saying imprecisely. And it said, you know what? And when they heard that, they were what? Cut to the heart. When they heard what the apostles had said, saying that they were guilty of murder, murder, and that Jesus was risen from the dead and still lived, they were cut to the heart. Someone said where it says there to cut with the cut to the heart is a word used properly. It speaks of to cut with a saw. You think about somebody cutting something with a crosscut saw. Now everything we got runs off a battery or off electricity, but I still have some of my father's hand saws. And when you can you imagine cutting it. He's just tearing it, just bringing it into peace. That's what that's what's mean. They were cut to the heart. 
It denotes to cut with a saw as applied to the mind. It means to be agitated and enraged. An indignation, as if wrath would seize upon the mind as a saw does upon the wood. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted. I want you to see this. A man can be convicted and never converted. We read of people that were pricked in their hearts, and they believed these people were cut in the heart. But what a man said. He told them the truth. Can you imagine your conscience now realizes what you did? And there's no one doing it. You're talking about cutting. That conscience that gnaws, that gnaws. He said, no, we've got to put a stop to this. But they were cutting the heart. It says, if wrath should seize upon the mind and as the saw does upon the wood and tear it violently or agitate it severely. You ever seen me and people get agitated? You know what? When we get agitated, you know, we just, we just keep cutting it. Something, something cut us. It, 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 it affected us the wrong way. We didn't like it. We didn't. He's just talking right to me. He cut their heart. He opened their heart. When used in connection with the heart, it means that their heart is violently agitated and rent with rage. If their face could have got red, it would have. If they could have clenched their fist, they would have clenched them. Why are they mad? They've been cut to the heart. They didn't sit there in indifference. Over in, in Acts chapter 7, the same thing, when they stoned Stephen to death. Go, go, go home and read that sometime, that sermon. He's very plain. He takes them all the way through the history of Israel. Brings them through the Egyptian bondage. Brings them through Joseph. Brings them through the Red Sea and all those things. And he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart as your fathers did, so do you. He told them the truth. And it said, and when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto the, I'm sorry, and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth and they stoned a man to death. You know, you think crucifixion, it, it's a horrible death, but you imagine somebody stoning somebody to death. You just keep hitting them. Keep hitting them. And you, don't, you don't care. We want to kill him. We intend on killing him. And when they heard these things, they were cutting the heart. And I can tell you, when men ever hear what they've done, and they actually see who they are and who we are, it cuts us to our heart. And you know what? You know who we get mad at? Us. Us. The rage is against me. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? It's my fault. For five chapters, Isaiah has been saying, woe is everybody else. Woe is everybody else. Till the year that King Uzziah died, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And you know then what he said? Woe is me. 
Peter says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. But these men were cut to the heart, and it never changed them. What changed them? It changed them for the worst. Oh, that men would be cut to the heart when they heard the gospel. In chapter 2, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? And it says they took counsel. When they were cut to the heart, they took counsel. How are we going to slay them? How are we going to get rid of them? Now you think about this. They've gathered all the apostles together. They're all here in one place. They took counsel to slay them, not in a legal and judicial way. They, they had, it had nothing to do with being justice. But in a, prime, a private matter or by force or by stirring up these people, to raise up against these apostles and aggravate them and say that they were a bunch of blasphemers and heretics and they gnashed on them with their teeth. And when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel. Instead of crying out and saying, what must we do to be saved? They did just like they did before. They wanted to kill them. Our Lord said, if you, they hated me, they're going to hate you. In this world, you shall be, have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And it's never changed. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love of the Father is not in him. They wanted to kill him. Now you think, what, they, some were pricked in the heart and they cried out for mercy. These were cut in the heart and they want to slay them. What makes the difference, Grace? Grace. I have seen people, I have witnessed it, people that were cut to the heart. You know, I don't know what you need, Danny. I don't know what you need, Cheryl. I know you need comfort. I know you need Christ, our Lord. But I don't know exactly what you need for a certain time and a certain hour. And I tell you, it's a blessing to me to someone say, it was just like you were sitting in our back seat coming to church this morning. Just what we were talking about, God enabled you to address it. And he pricks your heart. And he speaks peace to your heart. And we see who we are. And to think that he would be pleased, that he would be pleased to speak to us. And he spoke to these men. But instead of making hum instead of humbling them, it put them in a rage. I've also had people say, Why was he preaching just at me? I wasn't just preaching to nobody. I don't come in here. You know, this is how we used to do in religion. If, if, they, if people wasn't giving, well, we're going to preach on tithing. 
you know, if uh, if women are talking in the church, we're going to preach on women not talking in the church, you know. We preach Christ, and the Lord comforts his people. And if he just happens to speak to them, well, so be it. You know what? I hope he speaks to everyone individually, individually. He spoke. They were not afraid. It had been easy, humanly speaking, to God have been intimidated. So no, Danny, they can take your life. They're going to plan on killing you. You may not make it back home. They didn't care. You know why? They'd seen him. They'd seen him. They, they're not afraid. It's the Lord. He gives us courage. What do we have to be afraid of? Nothing or nobody. There's enough to read going on in this world to terrify everybody. But we know, according to his word, our Lord is on the throne. He's going to save his people. I know, I know exactly why it's happening. I know exactly why it's happening. God's going to use it to save his people. You mean he would destroy that whole temple? He sure would. To save his people. You think, you, and I know that they're just that, that physical nation. Look at everything they've went through and they're still around. All Israel's going to be saved. Now, I know that's all the elect of God. But when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, he ain't forgot them. He made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they are blessed to know him. And I pray they do. Let's stand.